0: Welcome to the Growing Home Podcast,
1: where we hope to inspire you to lead a life of slow living, nourishing food, family culture, homemaking, and homesteading.
0: This is where we cultivate new skills and fortify our joy alongside you. Welcome to the Growing Home Podcast. Today, Lauren and I have something very special to share with you. Thank you so much, Um, guys. So happy to be here.
1: Yeah, I'm so excited to talk to you. It's something we wanted to be doing more of, like a few each season, and because sometimes it's you know we're just talking back and forth. We want to bring people on with other perspectives and more knowledge in like certain specific areas that maybe we have experience in, but we're not experts. And yeah, so I thought of of you, Katie, when um. So I actually, I had coaching with you and I was pretty close to going a more traditional sleep training route with my two-year-old at the time. And we've never done that. We've always been super like biologically, you know, normal sleep. And, but, you know, I mean, she's going to talk to us about this a little bit when you're kind of at your wits end after like months of not sleeping, Uh, it can be easy to want that. And I think like, I finally was able to be like, yeah, I could totally see why parents are sleep training their four month old, like letting them cry all night because they don't know what to do. Um, and some children are just like more difficult in this area than others. So I found you and, uh, ended up doing, what did we do three weeks together or something? And it was officially two weeks together. Yep. Two weeks. Okay. And, uh, worked through like some specific things and. No, like she's not sleeping through the night in her own room but <laughs> it was better and i think it it was it became better enough that we were able to like continue with our convictions and what we believe and i think that's sort of who what where you're coming from so right. i i was gonna i was gonna call you a sleep consultant yeah. um but i love to hear and like a more um holistically a holistic approach um not sleep training but coaching. So I'd love to hear a little more like in your own words about what you do and who you are. Sure. So
2: hello, thank you for having me again. Um I'm Katie. I um am the founder of The Not So Tired Toddler that you can find me there on, on Instagram. I also have a website www.thenotsotiredtoddler.com. Um and I am a holistic infant and toddler sleep specialist. So I help parents move away from things that are no longer working for them without traditional sleep training approaches. So at at no point do I say that you have to separate from your child in order to get better sleep. And I'm all about like the compromise, right? So I believe that we can coexist with our kids and that we can still meet them where they're at developmentally and give them what they need while also being like, okay, this isn't sustainable for me. What is like, how can we make a compromise? How can we meet in the middle? How can we get everybody happy? So sometimes, you know, parents come to me with the the end goal, obviously of the magic is sleeping through the night. But with that being said, waking well into toddlerhood is actually the biological norm. So Sometimes yes do we have parents like all get some long stretches or babies or i shouldn't say babies sorry toddlers mainly will start sleeping through the night um but that's that's not typically you know how it um how it actually works and i do a lot of like education a lot of education about biologically normal infant sleep what it's supposed to actually look like um, realistic expectations. Um, we, I teach a lot about attachment theory and about emotion. And because especially when we're talking about toddlers, you know, they have big feelings, obviously. And, um, a lot of it is just holding boundaries, the boundary that we've set, let's say nursing in the middle of the night, we've, we hold that boundary and we support the emotion that comes with changing that boundary or holding that boundary and changing that like sleep association. So, um, but my main, my main thing is that you don't have to sleep train and you don't have to suffer. Like there is a middle ground. You don't have to go each way. And, and with that being said, I am super compassionate and understanding, just like you said, Lauren, I get why parents get to the point where we're like, I just, I don't know what else to do, you know? Um, so in that scenario, like when a parent is in a crisis, that is, I feel like that's a completely different situation. And then as long as you are informed and you know exactly how sleep training works and you've made that decision for your family, because that is the best decision for you guys right now, I totally understand. But I think for our culture, the independence is pushed so hard and sleeping through the night is pushed so hard and um, babies being able to self-soothe is like a thing that we feel like we're supposed to do and like it's our job to teach our babies how to sleep. And um so that's why parents feel like it's kind of like a rite of passage to sleep train. Like it's their job to teach the baby how to sleep, their baby how to sleep. And I'm like, it's not actually our job. Like sleep is a biological function. At the end of the day it's not our job to teach our babies how to sleep. Yes, we can do all these things to tweak schedule and Make sure our environment is great and you can use white noise, you can use sleep sack, you can do all these things, but that's not sleep training. That's actually sleep hygiene, which is great. Routine and predictability is really important. Um, but we don't have to go down that traditional route where where you're leaving your baby to cry for even 20 seconds if you don't, you know, if you don't want to go down that route, you don't have to.
1: Yeah, I think that <clears throat> segues really well into our first question, which is what is biologically normal and what is expected for the first five years if you are wanting to follow that you know biologically normal pattern of sleep for an infant and a toddler because I think we all have this really you know programmed idea that baby should be sleeping through the night by four months old and if they're not especially at one or two or three it's like something is wrong and I think that's often how people treat it too like if they hear that your baby's not sleeping through the night or your toddler's not sleeping through the night it's like Oh, like something's wrong here. And yeah. I'm like, no, like it's normal, no. but I'd love for you to go through like, what is actually normal?
2: Right. So the biological norm for babies through the first year, especially is waking every two to three hours. So every two to three hours would be the biological norm, especially for a nursing baby. Now, some babies naturally are just easy, easier sleepers, not good not like only that those are the good babies. Yes, all babies are good, right? Um, but I don't like to say like good or bad sleepers. I like to say like easier sleeper than sleepers than others. And they might sleep five, six, seven, eight hour stretches all on their own. They might start sleeping through the night all on their own, just naturally. So that is also a variation of normal. Or you can have the total opposite of that, where you still have a baby at a year old who is waking every two to three hours, like I said, especially a nursing baby. Um, And and that would be the biological norm. This can spill into toddlerhood, um, typically after the first year. Some kids mostly kind of get it around that 12, 14 month mark. You can really see like a change in sleep. But if your toddler is still waking at two years old, that is still considered normal. Okay, now hourly waking, that's a whole different. We'll talk about that later, I'm sure. Hourly waking would be something completely different that would be a red flag, but um, it's still normal, even up to three, four years old, for your toddler or preschooler to wake in the middle of the night and kind of call out or look for you, seek their primary caregiver and need that support to get back to sleep. Um, we see a big shift after three because infancy is the first three years of life. And after three, um, sleep cycles do start to lengthen between three and five years. So sleep really gets different between three and five years old. But before those first three years, it is expected that your baby and toddler will wake up at night and they might need you. They might need a lot of support. They A, lo- a lot of times I find that parents have really easy sleepier sleepers in the beginning and their newborn is sleeping seven, eight hours at night, and then they hit the infamous four month regression, which I actually call a progression because your baby is never regressing backwards. They're always moving forward. And there's an actual change in the architecture of the brain and how we sleep at four months. So aha, the magical time to sleep train is four months. And it's really, it's not a time to like train away. It's a time that baby really needs a lot of nurturing. So it's nothing to fix. It's not anything that we have to train or fix away. We just have to kind of let it pass. And sometimes this can take weeks and then they'll jump into a six-month progression. And then there's an eight to 10-month progression and there's a 12-month progression. And every other progression after that for the first two years really comes down to like big developmental changes, like big. they're hitting big milestones. They're walking, they're crawling, they're rolling. Um, They have language bursts. Um. They, you know, they want a lot of autonomy when they become toddlers. So at those times is when we see like sleep gets messy and can get disrupted, but it usually passes. It's like a wave. That's what I say. Like, sometimes you just have to ride the wave and sometimes those waves are like crashing down and you feel like you're going to drown. And other times they're kind of just like smooth sailing. You're like, okay, like we got this. And I feel like we, like, we all know, like babies are so like, once you figure them out, they're like, just kidding. I'm going to shake things up again and, you know, uh, I'm going to change it all up for you. So um, the first two years, especially sleep is like a roller coaster and
0: that is very, very normal. Gosh, that's so helpful to hear some biological expectations we can set our sights on. Uh, I feel refreshed yes. just listening like, okay, it's going to be fine. This is how it's designed. Okay. And could you speak yes. to how, how, oh, sorry, go on. I was going to say, and that is actually, you,
2: you kind of nailed it. Like babies are designed to wake at night. Mm. We are, they are supposed to sleep in a lighter stage, um, a lighter state of sleep because it's protective. This is how nature's way of protecting a baby from SIDS actually. Um, this also protects the breastfeeding relationship. Um, babies attach via the senses. So they want to see, smell, touch, taste um here be close to mom be close to their source of you know survival like babies need us to survive you know they say like the push for independence is so 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 strong and it's like but wait a second like children are literally dependent on us babies are literally dependent on us to survive so with that being said i want to reassure everyone that you will have an independent child and that fostering and allowing that deep, deep, deep dependence now will not hinder independence, it will actually foster it. I love
0: to hear that and it makes so much sense to me. Can you speak to how these expectations for the first five years or so or just through infancy at least can affect the mother, how she can expect to be affected physiologically, emotionally, um, how her sleep might change? Just can you set our sights on something there? (laughs)
2: So I think that um, we probably have all experienced pregnancy insomnia and I am convinced that, that especially that end, that end of pregnancy, when you're just like up in the middle of the night or you're waking up every hour to go to the bathroom, or I I feel like it is our body's way of like preparing us for what the first year is going to be like, like in preparation. Um, With that being said, it is really hard. It is really, really, hard to have a wakeful baby and it can be very stressful. And especially then we are living in a time that we don't have a village. We don't have the support. We don't have the resources, you know, um, in, in so many cultures globally around the world, like there are grandparents and aunts and uncles and, Um, you know, there are people taking care of the mother, there are people taking care of the baby, and we don't have that here. So I understand that this, there's so much to unpack surrounding the conversation. It's not so black and white, we live in a very gray, we all need to live in the gray, like it's, parents are doing the absolute best that they can with the information that they have and the resources that they have. So it can be really, really stressful. But what I do find, actually, is that even if I work with a parent, and we change sleep hasn't changed at all let's say maybe it's gotten this much better the fact that they know that they're doing a good job that their baby is normal that they don't have to teach them how to sleep that they're actually supposed to be waking that um that all these things are okay they're like you know wow like that's what I was missing I just needed the reassurance and validation that like my baby is normal and they're not supposed to be sleeping through the night and like what we're doing is okay and i didn't create b- bad habits and it's okay to rock my baby it's okay to nurse my baby to sleep like and that's a big big piece of it and it's because of the societal pressures that we have in our culture that pushes this narrative on us so i really 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 want moms to know like it's not your job if, if i could go back and tell myself anything as a brand new mom it would be it's not your job to teach your baby how to sleep you're doing great you're not going to create bad habits if if things become unsustainable to you, it is okay to shift patterns without feeling like you have to go against your instincts, like against biology. We are hardwired. In pregnancy, our brain starts to train and change, and we birth a baby, and we are hardwired to respond to our infants. So when outside noise is telling us that we have to leave our baby to cry, even for five minutes, we're going against biology, we're going against our instincts. And that is heart wrenching to us. But we feel like we have to, in order to teach them how to sleep. And you don't, you don't have to. So, um, so yes, it, it, it is expected that we're not going to get some sleep you know, and we really need to seek out our village and we really need to ask for support. and We really need um, to, to figure out ways how, like they say, like sleep when the baby sleeps. And I know that's so unrealistic, but everything else can wait. So that's the another important thing. Like all the rest of it can wait, like hold your baby, snuggle your baby. Um, and, um, you know, even if sleep is like good for the beginning and you're like oh okay i have a new this newborn is easy you know sleep is kind of easy if it starts to get to that point where you're at the 4 month the 6 month the 8 month the 12 month you know into toddlerhood and sleep starts to get hard it's not because you did something wrong it's just that this is sometimes how it is you know sleep really is not linear and it like i said it's a roller coaster so that is to be expected and a big missing piece of the conversation with traditional mainstream, um, sleep advice is temperament of your child. So you have easier babies and easier toddlers. And then you have that are just like chill and nothing really phases them. And they, they, You know, they can like sleep away from a caregiver from for long periods of time and they don't need a lot of support. And then you have more sensitive babies and more highly sensitive children who do need a lot of support and who do need a lot of motion and who do need to be like sleeping on their caregiver. And, um, you know, both babies are good and both babies are normal. It's just that the temperament of your child will play a huge role in sleep. And, and that's, that's what I see missing from the conversation so much like nobody talks about that. Nobody talks about what it's like to have a more sensitive child and what that's going to look like for sleep. So like drowsy, but awake doesn't work for every baby. Babies are physiologically unable to self-soothe, especially from a heightened state of stress. They can't do that. And so this narrative is pushed And it's just not true. And actually to speak on um, self-soothing really quickly, because I know that this is a big question for parents, is that I want to talk about the origin of that word. So I think it's really, really important to know the history. And um, Dr. Thomas Anders was a a researcher and he was watching babies in the NICU. And some of these babies would wake up and they would self-settle and go easily back to sleep and other babies would signal out and they would call out when they woke. So he called these babies signalers and soothers, and it was totally taken out of context. He never meant it to describe that a baby could self-soothe or self-regulate from a heightened state of stress. He just said some babies wake up and they're self-settlers and they kind of soothe themselves back to sleep and other babies are signalers. And that doesn't mean, um, and really that comes down to like the temperament of your baby, the temperament of your unique baby matters. And that is where self-soothing came from. It was completely taken out of context. So if your baby cannot self-soothe, guess what? They're very, very normal. That part of the brain, self-regulation um, does not even fully mature until our 20s. So we're asking babies to do something that they actually cannot do. And I know that there's so much controversy on that, but that is the truth.
0: They both sound like survival I strategies. To came me. up. Oh, sorry. Just like a baby no, being go quiet, it would, you know, stay hidden if it wasn't around a caregiver and a baby screaming out could get the attention of a caregiver. They both sound healthy, like healthy responses. Yeah. they
2: Extremely normal. Like both sides are normal. Both sides are good babies. All babies are good babies. You have some babies that are easier. And like I said, go with the flow and they can be out and about and they can sleep in a carrier. And then there's other babies that just they just can't, and it's just because of how we're wired, not because a parent is failing, not because a parent has done something wrong, not because you've nursed your baby to sleep, not because you've rocked your baby to sleep, not because you've created bad habits. There are no such thing as a bad habit. There are things that work for your family, and there are things that don't, and that's it, and you can do those things for as long as you want. I rocked my babies to sleep until you know they were toddlers. And now I beg my four-year-old to let me rock him to sleep. And he's like, no, (laughs) you know, like it will pass. And that doesn't mean, I don't mean that in like a toxic positivity, like way, like soak it all up. You know, this season is going to like pass. Like, yes, it's going to, but um, you can, you you can still, you can move away from things that are no longer working for it. You don't have to soak up every moment. We're not going to love every moment, right? You're going to love most of them, but you're not going to love every moment. And that's okay. That does not make you a bad parent. So if you're done rocking your baby to sleep, that's okay. You don't have to continue. We can move and shift patterns. I mean, Lauren, I mean, you know, like, you you know, like when you shifting patterns seems like, it feels like it's going to be so hard. Like I'm never going to be able to stop. And then you learn these strategies of like how to move away from things that are no longer working. You're like, okay, like that wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. I just yeah. had to kind of know how to do it and how to support my baby through it and how to support emotion and how to, you know, get us onto the other side. And now looking back, you're like, wow, like this is where we were at and we made, we we were done. I didn't want to do that anymore. And that's okay. It's okay to want to make a change. And now we're, we moved on to something else that does work for us.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We were still bouncing our 30 pound two-year-old on the ball in the carrier for every sleep time. And um, I have two highly sensitive, very opinionated children. (laughs) And my first was um, like a really challenging sleeper in the early months and then kind of just slowly got progressively better until about two. And then he mostly started sleeping through the night when I nightween him. And so I just imagined that was the trajectory. My daughter was like a little better in the, in the beginning, but I just, my expectations were just really spot on. Like she's going to wake every few hours, but um, I'm just going to roll over and nurse her. Like I actually, I think because I had really realistic expectations I had read the continuum concept I was like really committed to yeah by like to biologically normal sleep that I actually never felt super sleep deprived in like the babyhood like the first year it actually like felt really natural to me and I didn't I even feel like a lot of times I never fully woke up like the concept that I'd have to get out of bed and like walk to another room nurse my baby in a rocking chair wait till they're asleep put them back down and then go back to sleep like that is that's crazy for me. Like it was so much easier to have them right next to me and I wouldn't barely even have to wake up. Mm-hmm. Um, but then when she was getting so much worse at two, I ran and like, I thought I understood. I'm like, wait, this is you're you're worse than you too. Yeah. Um, so it was cool. Like to feel like I, I had a lot of skills and I'm like okay I actually really need some like external advice and it really was like such simple things that you had me kind of implement mm-hmm.
2: um,
1: but it was all like really powerful and just things that I didn't think about myself like I just needed a bit of like an external like a third person point of view to be like okay this might yes you can have that. <laughs> just just said two-year-old coming in and drinking my Olipop so I guess to, to follow up what are some of like the most common baby and toddler sleep problems i mean and you could use that like maybe real things that really are something that needs to be addressed or perceived problems either way and what kind of what can cause those things that maybe are actual actual problems or maybe it's something mental that's causing it because it's not not an actual problem in the baby just kind Mm -hmm. of like from both ends what what are those yeah so I, I, there's two, two things that we can look at when we,
2: when we talk about like sleep problems, is it, is it actually a problem or is it the narrative that has made us to believe that it's a problem? Right. Or are we actually seeing where like baby is waking hourly or baby is super restless or waking up in pain, or is your baby up for hours and hours in the middle of the night? Like those would all be things like we need to investigate further. So, um, So the first part of that is, is it actually a problem? Well, first of all, if it's not a problem for you, then it's not a problem. End of story. Like if it's not a problem for you, then that's it. It is not a problem. Um, Or is it a problem because we feel like it's supposed to look a certain way because we've been told that it's supposed to look a certain way? So if both of those are, you know, if we've covered that part, now let's talk about like we do have a baby that's waking hourly or we do have a baby that um, a toddler that is super, super restless and up for hours in the middle of the night like that is a completely different situation and hourly waking is a red flag, if your baby is waking up every 45 minutes to an hour. Um, Okay, I should say it can be a red flag, because sometimes it's developmental, sometimes it's illness, sometimes it's teething, sometimes it's temperament of your baby, sometimes it does just need to pass. But most of the time, there's an underlying issue. Like my second was up every 45 minutes for the first eight weeks of his life. He would only sleep on my chest. He had a posterior tongue tie that was released at four days old. And that's a whole nother rabbit hole that I could go down because I wish I would have done things different. But with that being said, um, he just could not extract milk from me. Even after release, he just could. And I did everything, you know, that I thought I could could do, but he could not extract milk. And, um, you know, it was just a terrible time for eight weeks and he was up hourly and that was a red flag. And I didn't know then, you know, what I know now, um, he's already three and a half and I've been doing this for almost three years. But so at that time, I really didn't know as much as I know now. And, um, you know that that needed to be investigated i need to fig i needed to figure out why there was something that was wrong so hourly waking is a re- is a red flag and needs to be investigated even if at the end of the day you rule out everything that could be wrong whether that's are you having breastfeeding difficulties does is does baby have uh, sleep apnea? Do they have enlarged tonsils and, or adenoids? Is there an airway obstruction? Is there um, oral restrictions like, you know, tongue ties that are causing um, issues? Is it food ins- insensitivities? Is it like skin conditions? Like eczema can be really, really bad and cause discomfort. Um, low iron, I see is very, very common in toddlerhood. And especially at that six month mark, um when you know um iron stores are are you know depleted and really the the only iron intake that baby takes after six months is diet. Um so you start to notice that like babies and toddlers start to kind of wake hourly, and they might they might be very very restless. And this is where a lot of my toddler clients will come to me at you know twelve months, fourteen months, and like my just my kid is waking hourly, and they are super super restless at night. And most of the time, um, they are exclusively breastfed babies, and you know we know toddlers they're picky eaters, and I'm like, all right, we have you know my suggestion is to follow up with your pediatrician and get lab work done. And typically we look at you, you can't just get a hemoglobin stick, it has to be an iron panel and then we look at iron and ferritin are the lab values and if those are low then you discuss with your, you know, provider how you're going to go about it. You know, I don't give any medical advice obviously. Um so you speak with a trusted, you know, your trusted provider on how to move forward, but a lot, of, a lot of what I do is to recognize, are there any red flags? Is there something going on as to why baby's having such a difficult time with sleep and why they're waking so frequently? And here, let me send you to an IBCLC. Let me send you to a myofunctional therapist. Let me send you to a pediatric dentist. Let me send you to an ENT. Let's find you somebody that can evaluate your baby or toddler properly um, and see if we can get some better sleep that way. So You know, unfortunately, we have parents that have concerns and their baby is waking frequently, frequently, and they're told you just need to sleep train. You know, it's your fault. I'm blaming, basically, I'm blaming you for what you've done. It's because you've been responsive or because you've been nursing to sleep or because you've been rocking to sleep that your baby is waking at night. And it's like, well, no, my baby is waking at night because they're a baby and and why are they waking so frequently? Like something is going on and I want you to follow your gut. I want you to listen to your instincts. If you feel like something is wrong, find someone who will listen to you. Go to every physician you possibly can until you find someone who will listen to you and want to evaluate further and at least rule out all these red flags that can disrupt sleep. At least rule them all out. And then, you know, then we can work on shifting patterns and then we can move on to doing something different if all those things have been rolled out. So follow your gut on that one. Listen to your instincts. If your baby is taking pauses in, in their breathing or if they seem super uncomfortable or super like reflux is a big one too. Like there's a root cause of reflux. So babies are labeled colicky and colic is not a diagnosis. Colic is a symptom there is an underlying root to that colic. There is a reason that your baby is having a hard time. So let's, we gotta find somebody that can really dig deep and get you to the root of the waking. So that's also, you know, what I do and how I support parents is just, let's figure out who can I send you to? I need to send you to to a specialist. You need to really get like a workup on this. So that's where sleep is a, a problem you know, um, is to where it's like, you're having red flags, you're having really disrupted sleep. Something doesn't feel right to you. Then it's like, we got to keep looking.
0: Okay. That's helpful. And in your practice, when someone say has an infant or toddler that isn't waking hourly, maybe it's something more common, but they're not quite satisfied with the restfulness of the sleep for either of them, mother or baby. What are some common ways that you guide them back to a more, um, restful relationship with their sleep.
2: Yeah. So uh, to become like more sustainable. So this is going to be really unique to every family because what one parents and family's goal is going to be completely different from another family. So I kind of look at like when I whenever I meet with parents, you know, um, I say like, you know, what is your biggest challenge? And they'll tell me, you know, I, I want to stop rocking to sleep or I'm ready to move away from bed sharing or, you know, um, I'm ready to stop nursing throughout the night. And first we have to look at, okay, is that realistic? Because I I do not recommend night weaning before 12 months. So if someone's coming to me and wants to night wean at six months, it's not recommended. So we first have to make sure like, is is this age appropriate for your baby? And then it's like, okay, well, what is your goal? How can we compromise? How can we meet baby where they're at developmentally and give them what they need while also moving? to something that is sustainable. Um, So sometimes I just teach like how to stop rocking, how to stop bouncing on a ball, how to stop, you know, really move away from nursing at night. And it's not a quick fix. Anyone who tells you that they can have your baby sleeping in three to five nights is either going to sleep train your child or is It's just not true. It's just not accurate. Now, sometimes we see sleep shift pretty fast. Once we've made some changes and we hold boundaries and do all these things, yeah. Sometimes, with even in a few days, or even in you know, like with Lauren and I, in two weeks, in two weeks, she saw huge success, like huge different difference in sleep. So sometimes that is, you know, what it takes. Just two weeks worth of like really staying, um, you know, consistent with what we're up to and really shifting patterns and um, the predictability. Really like staying consistent with routines but it's going to be very very specific and unique to your family and like what is your challenge what is your goal um and how can we get you there so uh, and and every family is different you know like i can't i can't and i will never promise you that i can get your baby sleeping through the night it's just unfair it would be unrealistic and it would be unfair to, to for me to tell you that now does that sometimes happen yes but it would be unfair for me to say that that would be, you know, the the ultimate, you know, the end goal in, in, in one week, you yeah. know. Now, sometimes what happens is what I teach you, you keep m- implementing. And then I, you know, I'll have my clients will like message me in a month and be like, oh, my God, Katie, we're finally there. You know like we kept doing exactly what we, you know this plan that we had in place or this like tips and suggestions that we had in place and now a month later like we are there we are sleeping through the night everyone feels so much better or we're getting five hour stretches um which i should tell you that sleeping through the night by definition is actually a five to six hour stretch so if you're a baby has slept five to six hour stretches they are, that is actually considered sleeping through the night. It's not this mythical seven to seven, the 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. That doesn't work for all babies, especially if you're talking about napping toddlers. If you're talking about a napping toddler who's getting a chunk of their sleep during the day and only, they may only sleep 10 hours at night. That is normal for them. You know, there's a range. So, um, again, just, it's very, very specific to each family and what their unique challenges and what their unique goal is.
1: Yeah. I'm going off script. (laughs) The last question I had, I just feel like you already addressed it. And then I came up with two more while we were talking instead. So, (laughs) um, I don't know. It's like controversial. I know you were talking about it a little earlier, but what is actually happening when you teach a baby quote unquote to self-soothe? Like, what's the actual thing that's happening? Because I think a lot of people, like my mom, for example, she did like a gentle version of, you know, the Ferber method, basically, basically like timed crying with my sister. And then I'm 11 years older and she didn't do that with me. She like co-slept with me until I was like five years old, but she was a single yeah. parent at the time. It was really different. No other kids. Sure. And, um, you know, she's like, well, then then your sister was like such a great sleeper and she wouldn't even let me rock her to sleep. And stuff like that. And I'm like, mom, like you don't know what is going on with yeah. <laughs> like, we have a great, you know, banter back and forth about it. And she totally like respects what I do and I respect her choices, but Yeah, Like, I think that most people think, you know, I'm really helping my baby to like genuinely helping them. You're doing them a disservice by not like giving them this, you know, they think it's a skill that they're teaching them. And, um, I think once I realized like what was actually happening when, um, you know, you're not responding to them and they're not calling out for you anymore, like that it wasn't actually that maybe like that they're soothing themselves, um, That like shifted my perspective on it. So I'd love for you to talk about that a little bit. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And it's a really hard truth and it is not my favorite thing to like to teach because I know it's a hard truth, especially I say this with, like I said earlier, so much compassion and understanding, like, you know, you're at, you're in a crisis or you're at your, you're, it's your last resort. And you're like, listen, I just have to, I have to, I have to sleep and I have to get my kids to sleep with that being said. Sleep training, whether we talk about, we can talk, let's talk super extreme, let's go to extinction, which is the cry it out method. So what happens is that babies um, are at a, such a heightened state of stress because they are biologically wired to want to be close to their caregiver, especially at night. Sleep is a vulnerable state to be in. And so, You know, they are, we are both wired mom and baby, the mother, but baby dyad, you know, baby does not know that they're separate from their mother in that first year. They believe that mom and mom, mom and them are one person. So what happens with sleep training, and we'll talk about extinction first, but it's the, where you put baby in the room and you leave them to cry it out. And, you know, the first night might take 30 minutes or an hour or whatever it is. And the second night is less and less and less. And people think like, oh, my!" I, I taught them how to sleep. I taught them how to self-soothe. But unfortunately, what happens, and I know this is very controversial, but this is the truth, is that babies or toddlers, if, you know, if you've gone down that route and waited, is that, you know, they get to this such a heightened state of stress and, you know, they shut down it's a very stressful state to be in. And so our bodies and their brains are like, I really can't handle this anymore. So I'm going to shut down and sleep. So we haven't taught sleep because sleep is a biological function. We cannot teach sleep. And when I talk, already said this, like sleep hygiene is like predictability is important routine is important it's important for our children to know what to expect to know when sleep is approaching so with sleep training um you know that that is just unfortunately the truth of it and i know it's a really hard truth it is that's how i got started is that i found a post one day from either, it was either Taylor Kulik or um, Lauren from Isla Gray Sleep about biologically normal infant sleep and how sleep training actually works. And I was like, wait a second, this is not at all what I've ever been told or thought. Like, what do you mean? So then I really (laughs) went down a rabbit hole And I found it exactly how it works. And I was like, why is this not mainstream? Why is this not told to us? Like, it's okay if you choose, because like I said, that you're struggling and it's either sleep train or snap, like, please like do what is the best choice for your family, but just be informed, you know, like really know how it works. Really, really educate yourself on the truth surrounding sleep training. And if you decide that that is the best choice for your family still, that is okay. Everyone should support you in that decision. But sleep training doesn't actually help babies. It doesn't help them develop. It doesn't help them sleep. It doesn't help, you know, them become more independent. Like That is all a narrative that is pushed as a very good marketing ploy. You know? Um when we're talking, when they're talking about sleep def- deprivation, like um, studies of like children who are not getting enough sleep, if you look at those studies, they are talking about school-aged children, not infants. And it's, so that's the thing, like we have to, when you're doing your research, make sure when you're looking at these studies that you're like looking at, well, what are what are they actually studying? Like who did they actually study? like are we are talking about a, a 7 year old? Yeah. Yes, that's a totally different story than talking about a baby who's waking up every couple hours and has, you know, broken sleep and this is how it's supposed to actually be. You know? So, um, the it's a it's the narrative. It's not our fault as parents. We are we're just doing what we feel is best with the information that we have at the time.
1: Totally like because what's normal for a seven year old is completely different than a seven month old.
2: Completely different. What's normal for a four-year-old is completely different than what's normal for a seven month old. Yeah. Completely, completely different. And the a you know, their the range of sleep really changes like drastically. To, and I want to go back to like sleep problems that you're talking about. Um, because what a lot of times what I find what happens is if in the first two years, sleep needs really really change drastically you go from a baby who's sleeping all the time to a baby who takes three naps to a baby who takes two naps to a baby who takes one nap to a baby who may drop their nap by two years old so if you think about those first two years like sleep is just kind of like like just it's not linear it's a roller coaster the sleep needs change so much so a lot of times it's just like our expectations and like understanding like if our toddler is taking a two-hour nap they're not gonna be ready for bed at seven o'clock. So a lot of times when when I help toddler parents, it's like making that shift. It's like a mindset, you know? Like the average bedtime for a napping toddler is between 8.30 and 9.30 p.m., not seven you know? So um, a lot of it is just like understanding what's normal and like what to actually expect. And what is it actually supposed to look like? Not like what this, like we're talking about unicorn babies that sleep seven to seven, like, and it's not that you did anything wrong if your baby or toddler doesn't, it's just that they're just different. They're just, you know, I I did a, I did a poll about um, drowsy, but awake and like self-soothing all these things about like Um, did it actually work for your baby? Is your baby actually, can they actually self-soothe? And I would say eight out of 10, the eight out of 10 answers were no. Drowsy but awake did not work for my baby. No, they can't self-soothe, which we know babies can't do. But like, so you actually have a very normal baby. If your baby is in that, like they don't like to just be laid down and fall asleep on their own. You have a very normal baby. It's not that you have a broken baby. You're not broken and either is your baby.
1: Yeah, totally. I think that's so important for especially new moms to hear because, you know, I'm around so many moms with babies, but I've never met someone. I don't think that hasn't either ended up co-sleeping or like doing some form of responding to their baby at night or gone through like a super long, difficult sleep training process. Like it's never. (laughs) And that's, that's the
2: other thing that nobody told you like, okay, sleep training might work, but you're you probably have to do it again.
1: Yeah, that, and right. No it's no not just, one just one like one and done. No, no one's gonna tell like you again that. eight months and then forever kind of. Yeah, yeah.
2: And sometimes sleep training does not phase babies. Some babies are easily sleep trained. Five minutes of 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 crying is like not a big deal to them. And you haven't ruined your baby if you have done this, or you haven't ruined your baby, you know, or ruined attachment or any of those things. Like no one can tell you that. Sleep training does or does not harm every specific baby. You cannot say that each and every baby is going to um, handle it the same. You yeah. know, every baby is so different. So then you have these mod other, other forms of sleep training, like the chair method or um, the like ferber where it's modified cry it out or controlled crying. And we call it gentle, but 15 minutes, what 15 minutes feels like depends on which side of the door you're on. Mm-hmm. So 15 minutes of crying for one baby might be enough for them to say like, I can't do this. I, I, you know, I just kind of got to shut down. And so we feel like, like that's the gentle form of it. And yeah, it's not extinction. It's not right to cry it out, but it is a modified form of cry it out. And I don't say that to judge or shame anybody. I'm just, just speaking the truth of how controlled crying works, um, So it's just important to know. And it's not that, like I said, it's not that if you've done these things and you've done 15 minutes of crying, your baby now sleeps through the night and you're like, it's okay. You're not damaging your child. You are not a bad parent. You are a good parent. And you were just doing what you feel felt was best at the time with the information and the resources that you had. But that doesn't change the truth. That doesn't change the truth of how it works or the history behind sleep training it, it, it doesn't change the truth. So two things can coexist, right? Like I, I totally get it. You know, if you get to that point where you have to make that decision. And at the same time, it's still true how it works.
1: Did you have any other questions, Evan? I have one more that I thought of while we were talking, but I just wanted to throw it to you if you had any others. Oh, yeah, go ahead. And then I'll ask our, our final. Yeah, um, I forgot it. About- I wrote it down oh okay this is I guess this applies to me (laughs) um but like I've always done bedtime by myself so for parents that are doing bedtime by themselves and there's just one parent and multiple small children because I think a lot of times when you're seeing the advice it's like have dad lay with the four-year-old or like the three-year-old and then like mom handles the baby and then you trade and like the you know like it's just all these things and that's that's not my situation. And like, I have military moms that I'm friends with and stuff like that, that that's not their situation. So let's say you have like two, three, four kids. I mean, my almost five-year-old, like he goes to sleep great, like by himself now, you know, Mm -hmm. but when they were small, you know, like I had a two and a half year old and a newborn that was not the case (laughs) and he had never gone to sleep without me laying next to him and she wouldn't let me lay down like I had to walk her around or like bounce her on the ball she needs so much stimulation she still does and um and then he's like crying in bed like because I'm not laying with him and we're all just crying you know so it's really (laughs) like It's hard. So, uh, and I don't expect you to figure out everyone's individual situation, but like, do you have any tips for someone who's trying to manage multiple bedtimes with small children by themselves? Yes. Um, And I can speak on this because my husband is a firefighter
2: and gone every third day uh, for 24 hours and my boys are 15 months apart. So here I was with a 15 month old and a newborn um, every third day trying to figure out how am I going to get everybody to sleep? you know, and for a long time, I needed my mother-in-law to come help me. So I was very, very lucky. She came for bedtime and we just kind of divided and conquered it, but that only lasted for so long. And then, you know, I had to figure it out on my own, but you just do what you need to do to kind of like, whatever that looks like for babies, like newborn babies, their bedtime is probably not until about 10 or 11 PM is actually the norm. For babies especially because babies circadian rhythm does not develop until about 8 to 12 weeks um so you know at that at that time when you have a newborn and you have a lot of my parents a lot of my clients that come to me are actually pregnant with their um second babies and they have a small child you know who they're still supporting to sleep and they're like I need to figure out their the first one sleep before I have my next baby so we really that's a lot of times when they come to me is Um, And then we really just start to shift patterns. I'm like, well, what would, what would it, what would work? Like, how can we, yes, move towards more independent sleep? So, but my best piece of advice is that you just don't get too attached to what it looks like and just know that like, you're doing the best that you can and nights might get messy. And I remember distinctly, like my mother-in-law would leave at at eight eight o'clock, let's say, and then I still had another 12 hours to go by myself. And I was going back and forth between rooms. And I was going back and forth between two babies waking at night. And I was going back and forth, back and forth. And then finally, in my specific situation, we all ended up co-sleeping. We all ended up bed sharing. And that is how, you know, we got to something that was sustainable for us. Like I found a way to have like my toddler in a crib, and then my baby in the bassinet next to me, and then me in the middle in my bed and just going back and forth that way. So don't get too attached that it has to look a certain way. Um, and yeah, if you can, you know, walk around with your infant while, you know, you're reading, you're telling your two-year-old a story, or you guys are singing a song together, or you're just able to rub their back while they're laying down, or, um, you know, you maybe put the baby down for a nap at seven o'clock. Maybe that's baby's- nap time and then you're able to get your toddler down. Like don't get too too attached to what it's supposed to look like and just look at it for what it is right now and remember that it is really hard and it's not because you're doing it wrong. It is a really hard season. You have multiple children. I, you know, I totally get that. And it's it's hard, but um this again is going to look specific and unique to each family, you know? So a lot of times, yeah, we can work towards more independent sleep before you bring in, in the new baby baby. We can start to shift patterns before new baby comes on. And then sometimes what I usually hear is like, I thought it was going to be so much worse than it actually was. Like I ended up like figuring it out. Like we came up with our own routine, our own rhythm. And that's what I want you to do. I want you to lean into whatever works and trust that just because it looks like this now doesn't mean it's going to stay like this forever. So You know, for nap time, this meant like my 15 month old was watching give a mouse a cookie while I was putting the baby to sleep. And I felt so much guilt for so long about that. And I'm not like the screen police or anything, but um, like, I just, I felt like, like, but that's what I needed to do. That is what I needed to do to get through. And it's okay to do that. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, if you can get your toddlers to lay down and you can just be in the room holding baby in a carrier, maybe, or you can have baby to go down for a nap while you're getting your older kids to sleep. Or can we move towards more independent sleep? And we're starting to like practice brief separations. And I can give you a little tip. So if, um, if you say, let's say that your two-year-old or your three-year-old is always used to you laying down to go to sleep to start moving towards more independent sleep, you start with practice with brief separation. So you're like, I'm going to go grab a glass of water and I'll be right back. And you leave them and you go grab the glass of water and you come right back. And you do that for a couple nights. And then you're like, I'm going to go grab a glass of water and I'm going to go potty. And I'm going to be, I'm going to be right back. And so those, those pauses, those, those periods of separation get longer and longer and longer. And before you know it you do go back you always go back you're always your word but your kid probably fell asleep at some point you know what i mean because they get used to like the the brief periods of of separation and those brief periods become longer and longer and longer and then they just fall asleep so that's how you kind of move towards more independent sleep at least it's one way um so that's that's another tip that you can start practicing and doing that
0: is that's such awesome a great tip. tip yeah i love that this has been yeah. so insightful, Katie, and I know we're both just so grateful for you sharing all of your knowledge and for the obvious compassion that you hold for all mothers and all choices. And yeah, just glad you're out there helping people with this. I'll probably be calling on you one day. Can you tell us where people yeah. can find you yeah. and access your expertise in this area?
2: Yeah, of course. So I'm easily found on Instagram. Again, the um, my handle is the not so tired toddler dot com or not so at the not so tired toddler and then my website is um the not so tired toddler dot com I also have a Facebook group um that is called toddler sleep without sleep training I answer every single person I have like 99% of the time if you ask a question on there I will respond to you and give you the best advice that I possibly can while also like understanding that like I can't you know, all complex, especially complex sleep stuff. Like, you know, I, I can't really answer just in a message or just in a comment, um, but you can find me there. Um, my inbox is always open and I truly mean that. Like I, when, when my, especially... Whether you work with me or not, like I really, it takes a village and some of us, a lot of us don't have that village. So sometimes that village is virtual and sometimes that village is found on Instagram. And sometimes it's just me sending you a one minute voice memo that's like, listen, you're doing a great job. I know it's really hard. Try this. And just, you know, as much as I possibly can, I want to be there and support parents at the end of the end of the day. That is why I'm here because I really, really, really want to educate and empower and just support you because I know how hard it is. And I just want you to know that like, you're not failing, you're doing a really, really good job and you're not broken. Your baby's not broken. It's just really hard. And it's not hard because you're doing it wrong. It's hard because it's hard. So please reach out to me. Um, I work with clients one one on one, whether that's a simple hour call, um, I have a two week package, um, you can text me every day in one of in the two week package and we can talk back and forth in real time and really, really get you through um, making changes or I have a, a month support. As well, And I don't ever tell parents like you need to book a month month with me or you need to book two weeks. It's really like whatever you can do, whatever is feasible for you or how much support you actually need. I make it beneficial to you regardless. I get super invested. I'm always checking on all my clients. Um, I really, I really just want to make sure that, you know, I've led you in the right direction and you feel like confident in what you're up to because that is freeing in itself. When you become so confident in what you're up to, um, nothing could ever make you question it. Someone could walk up to me and say, Katie, you failed your kids because you still lay with them at three and a half and four and a half, and I would be like, okay. And it wouldn't phase me at all because I'm so confident in what I'm up to and I feel so like empowered and I know I've been following my instincts and I know the sleep science behind it and I know how connection and attachment theory works. So I have all this info that I would love to share with all of you um, so that you can also feel super confident about what you're up to.
1: Thank you. Yeah. I I totally recommend working with Katie if you are wanting one-on-one support. Like she was super helpful and, I felt like really affordable for how much like help I got. Like, she's totally not overpricing herself. And um, like I said, like I, it, it wasn't my first baby. It was, she's already two years old. So it's like, it's not, even if it's your fifth baby, like every child's so different. So like, if you need that third person, like it's, it's super helpful, and I highly recommend it. So thank you so much for coming on. We, we it, I loved it. Like I learned more oh and <laughs> I just love talking to you. Like I haven't talked to you in a few months and yeah, um no, it was so great. Thanks for sharing all of your knowledge with our audience.
2: Yeah, thank you guys so much for being here. And I really mean it. If you need anything, really, honestly, if you need anything, please reach out.
1: That's so generous. Amazing. Sweet. Thank you. Yeah, you're so welcome.
0: Thank you for listening to the podcast. I hope that it's brought value into your lives. For a minute here, I'm gonna share about some things that have brought value into our lives. We've chosen just a couple of sponsors this season, and these are companies that we trust, that we use in our daily lives, and that we feel confident about bringing to you. The first company is Purity Coffee. Now, I love this coffee, and there are a couple of things that set it apart. The first is how they test their coffee for mold. As many of us know, as coffee is processed, it often molds and so this is an important part of the process if you listen to the podcast you know that lauren and i have both gone through extensive journeys with mold and so because this is a staple for my family it's very important that when i sit down for a cup of coffee i know it's not a steaming hot cup of mold i've never found another coffee company that's more forthcoming or honest about this process the second thing is the taste their beans are not over roasted which i find to be super rare They retain their flavor and complexity, and I just really appreciate that. It makes it a really enjoyable part of my day.